This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. So from a very young age, I started teaching our son, Vian, that daddy is the king of the home. Not based on his performance, but based on his position as the leader, the king and the priest and the prophet. And Vian was four years old when we were sitting in the lounge, the three of us, and the king just got up from the, from the couch and he walked to the kitchen and he helped himself to some ice cream in the freezer and he walked off to his office. And Vian looked at this whole thing and he said to me, Mommy, why can Daddy just have ice cream? Because obviously Vian needs to ask, especially when he's four years old. He can't just help himself. You know, and I was also thinking, yeah, I mean, what is this? You know, he's not even offering anything to us. And, you know, I need to now give the right answer to my son. Okay, I'm, I must be a good parent. I must now answer this right. And now I'm going through my own thought process. And praise God, the Holy Spirit can also speak to a four-year-old. I realized that. Ain't. And Vian said, Mommy, is it? Because daddy is the king. I said, yes, yes, that's, that's what it is. So Vian answered his own question. And fast forward a couple of years, Vian was eight. We were in the kitchen. And I don't know if any one of you can relate to this, but when it comes to finding and seeking things in the home, that's me. You know, for some reason, it's become my job to know where everything is. So the men in my house, they just scream from the one side of the house, where's that and where's that? And, you know, I suppose I must just say one day, I don't know, and not do anything. But I'm the one looking and finding and searching for everything in the home. So now we're in the kitchen, and Andre is looking for something. And in, in that moment, I was just slightly irritated, you know, with the situation. Because why am I always supposed to know where everything is? So I said to the king, it's not in that drawer. It's in that drawer. And Vian, it was a silence. And Vian said to me, mommy, is that how you speak to the king? <laughs> so we have had many discussions in our home, how we are supposed to treat the king, how the king is supposed to treat us, because the king also has got a responsibility. You know, and Vian loves to remind his daddy that Jesus is the king of kings. Please don't forget it, daddy, you are king, but Jesus is the king of kings. And he refers to himself as the little king. You know, he's very, he's, he says he's also a king. He's a little king, but he's a king. And, you know, I can just see how excited Vian is one day to become the king of his home. So I say to him, we're praying for your wife, you know, that, that she can, she must treat you like a king. We must pray for it now already. You know, and I don't know what values you embrace in your home. Every one of us on a different journey, different season in our lives. But I think we would all agree that it's, it's easier to treat somebody like a king or a queen or royalty from a distance, right? The moment we get into somebody's life and we discover the flaws and the weaknesses and the sin and, or just that they're so different, <laughs> they do things differently, it's so easy to become familiar. It's so easy to, to not respect and to, to treat somebody without dignity because, you know, it's just my brother, or it's, it's just my sister, or it's just somebody that I've known forever. And 
what I've realized is familiarity is an enemy when it comes to healthy relationships. And we can't just be casual about it. We can't just welcome familiarity into our homes. We need to actually tear it down. And we need to be intentional about it because it's not just going to disappear. It's something that creeps in very sadly. And before you know it, everybody is familiar. And everybody just say what they want. And everybody treats everybody like they want because, you know, that's just the way we do it. And, you know, I want to I wanna ask this question to you this morning. How do we do it? How do we tear down familiarity? How do we break down something that destroys, so easily destroy our relationships, that creeps in and where something can be really beautiful, a relationship between friends or brothers and sisters or spouses become you know, complicated because there's familiarity. And I want to propose this morning that we need to become carriers of honor. Not only carriers of honor, we need to become intentional carriers of honor. And maybe you think, Sonica, you now just lost me. I have never heard about carriers of honor. I don't know what it is. So let me explain to you. I, I've seen when we become an intentional carrier of honor, when we choose to honor, that we create an environment, a beautiful environment. We create a culture that I want to call a pastoral culture, or we can call it a culture of honor, but we change our worlds. You know, we, we, we're doing a series called Changing Your World, and I've seen that every time I intentionally tear down familiar, familiarity and intentionally become a carrier of honor. I changed my own world and the world of the people around me for the better. You know, and the person who defines this the best is Bill Johnson. And I want to I wanna expose you to his definition of a culture of honor or a, a, a culture where we become carriers of honor. He says, it is when we celebrate people for who they are without stumbling over who they are not. I want to repeat this. When we create a culture of honor, we celebrate people for who they are without stumbling over who they are not. Which means we don't only honor from a distance. When we're not aware of flaws and mistakes and sin and, and bad attitudes, we honor because somebody is created in the image of God, because somebody is valuable. And when we discover the flaws and the weaknesses, we don't stop honoring them. I'm not saying we, we approve of these things. I'll, I'll get to that later. Sometimes we need a tough discussion, an uncomfortable discussion. But we can still honor. We can still do it with respect. And we can still do it in an honoring way. So I want to take you to the scripture we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, where Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because he has anointed me to do a couple of things. To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this morning, I want to focus on he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. There's an anointing. There is there's something that God puts on us as individuals, as Christians, the same spirit that was upon Jesus. 
And that anointing can facilitate healing to broken hearts. It's not something we do in our own strength. It's an anointing. It, there's a weightiness. There's something that really makes a difference. You know, Jesus has, has come to heal hearts. Not only to heal hearts, he's come to do far more than that. But one thing, one of the things he's come to do is to heal hearts. And I believe his primary tool is healthy relationships. And especially healthy relationships in a church context. So this morning, I want to talk to you about a healthy and a strong pastoral culture. So I want to show you a diagram of the fivefold ministry. These are gifts that Jesus has given to the church. So there's an apostolic gifting. Andre is very strong in that. There's a prophetic gifting. There's a pastoral gifting, which is now the one in the middle, focusing on relationships. There's your teaching gifting, and then there's your evangelistic gifting. And they, every one of them has a place in the body of Christ. There's not, there's not one who's necessarily more important than the other, even though I believe we should follow the direction of the apostolic and the prophetic gifting because they reveal to us the will of God. They reveal to us the, the will of God for now. But ultimately, the pastoral gifting, which I'm very passionate about, and I always say it's the glue that keeps things together, right? Because without it, we believe things will unravel. Okay, there's no scripture in the Bible that says it's the glue, right? Don't look for it. <laughs> But this is what we believe because we see this over and over that if the pastoral gifting or culture in an organization, in a business, or in a church is low, things unravel. It's almost as if none of the other giftings can really flourish because people are scattered. You know, like Jesus says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're scattered all over the place. So everybody's trying to do something for Jesus, but they are scattered. And, you know, this, this anointing says everybody is a somebody in Jesus. Everybody is important. Everybody is significant. There's not one person who is worthless. Everyone is worthy and everyone is gifted. You know, last week Andre touched on the prophetic gifting. And a couple of weeks ago when I had my sword, remember, when I talked about the word of God that is living and powerful, I touched on the teaching gifting. And all of them are critical for a healthy church. But I remember when Andre and I joined Shofar in 95, well, middle 90s. We were, we were young, and we were confused, and we were insecure, and we needed a lot of healing to our hearts. And, you know, we discovered in Shofar powerful worship, like we had this morning. You know, we've been part of powerful worship from the beginning, solid teachings. We attended the one seminar after the other. We did everything we could find to grow. But... The thing that healed our hearts the most was just the people in the church and the friendships and the acceptance and the love and people who believed in us, people who just purely accepted us and celebrated us for who we were back then, not who we are today, but who we were back then. And they saw something in us more than what we could see at that stage, you know, so you guys have a way more important role to play than what you realize. 
Because if there's a new person coming in to this building with a broken heart, you can be a facilitator of healing. You can be, you, you can play a bigger role than the person preaching the word or the worship team by just loving that person, just accepting the person into this family. You know, and I believe when the Spirit of the Lord comes and He rests upon us to heal the brokenhearted, we effectively crown people. We, we literally crown them with God's love and His beauty and His purposes. You know, we effectively tell them you are more than what you think you are. We crown them. It's not just flattery. It's not just beautiful words. There's an anointing to bring healing. That is what the Spirit of the Lord that rests upon us does when we do it together with Him to crown people and to, and to heal them. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. So when Jesus looks at us, He doesn't see worthless people or sinners or, or you know, Somebody who still needs a long way to grow. He sees royalty. He sees a holy nation. He sees a chosen generation, his own special people. God relates to us through the blood of Jesus. He looks to us through the eyes of Jesus, and he says, you are valuable. You are special. You are significant. You are royalty. Amen? So what does a strong and a healthy pastoral environment look like? I want to give you an idea. I want to give you a feel because there is already in our congregation a very strong culture of this. And it really blesses my heart. But I want, to, I want to just highlight a few things to you this morning. A strong pastoral environment makes people feel safe and celebrated and accepted and valued. It encourages people to truly care for one another. Just a spontaneous flow of caring and people praying for one another, taking meals when, when, when there's a crisis or when there's a change, like a new baby being born. Uh, a spontaneous flow of people caring for one another. A pastoral gifting sees potential in people for greatness, and they call it out. They see gold in people when nobody else sees the gold. They see the gold, and it's also a beautiful partnership between the prophetic gifting and the pastoral gifting. You know, this is why it's never in isolation. We always take hands with another gifting and another anointing because we'll never, as, a, as in a pastoral gifting, if that is your strong one, if that is your heart, we never operate in isolation. We always partner. For example, you remember Jesus, uh, um, David, King David, in the Bible was a shepherd boy. And, and God said to the prophet Samuel, He's the next king. And you remember all Jesse's sons walking past. And Samuel thinking, this must be the one. This must be the one. And God said, no, no, no. Where's the youngest? You know? And when there's a strong pastoral gifting and we take hands with a prophetic gifting, God tells us there's a king. You know, he's, currently he's a shepherd boy. Nobody even knows about him. He's the youngest. But he's, he's the king. He's the next king of Israel. You know, and when he was anointed as king on that day, it took years before he operated as a king. But God had to prepare him. He had to open his eyes. He had to look at himself differently. 
And that is so crucial for us. It's not about operating in 100% in the fullness of the call and the destiny that God has for us before we can call ourselves king and priests and prophets. And, you know, it's, it's something God... God wants us to see ourselves differently. And that's a beautiful part of a healthy pastoral culture. We look at one another differently. It's not just my friend. You know, I know her from primary school. And I still know her. And, you know, back then she was funny. (laughs) So today I'm not sure, you know. No, it's like we see each other differently. Different, different eyes. A pastoral gifting gives people the benefit of the doubt. It gives grace to people to make mistakes, which means people are not scared to take a risk because if they make a mistake, it's going to be okay. There's going to be grace. A pastoral gifting esteems other people higher than themselves. And I believe a pastoral gifting raises up true carriers of honor who will celebrate people for who they are without stumbling over who they are not. Amen. So what is the result? Because ultimately we can have a beautiful environment, but what are we working towards? What, what would be the end result of a healthy and a strong pastoral culture year in and year out? What would be the result? I believe it creates a safe environment for people to step out of their comfort zone and to, to try new things. You know, this is typically me, you know, because Andre has created for me a platform, and I'll I'll share a bit more of of that later. He's given me a voice. He's given me a platform. He's given me liberty to be who I am, not to, to try and be something else. But he created, you know, in our relationship, there's a strong pastoral connection, you know, where he encourages me to become everything God intended me to be. He creates a safe space for me to step out and to try something I've never tried before. And I know if I mess it up, it's going to be okay. So it, it helps us to step out of our comfort zone. There's a willingness to take risks. There's a boldness and a freedom to become what God has called you to be. A boldness, a freedom, a confidence because you know that I'm not, I'm not a king yet. I'm still a shepherd boy. But I've been anointed by the prophet. So obviously there's something upon my life. So I start living differently. I don't live like a shepherd boy anymore. Now I start living like a king. And when the time is right, I'm ready for that position. Amen. There's a sense of significance for every person. So this culture creates a sense of significance. Everybody is a somebody. Everybody is special. Everybody's got something to give. We esteem one another higher. And I believe a strong pastoral environment creates sustainability. You know, year in, year out. And I want to I wanna use this example. Most of you know Dion Henning. He's one of our worship leaders, elders, very good guitarist. You know, he started Shafa East London. You know, 20... 2005, six around there, he and Kuba, they came to East London and they started this church. Now, this is, this is about 15 years later now. And you know what? Dion is still around. He is, he's, he's serving us. He's serving you guys. He stepped away from something he started because he knew that God used him for a season to establish something. 
But God is still using him. His position may be changed a little bit, but that is a sustainability of a pastoral gifting. Dion is a strong, there's a strong pastoral gifting on him. And he had the grace to not only stick for one or two years, but after 15 years, he still plays the guitar better than ever, you know? And he, he's still around. He's still serving us. He's not bitter and offended and he is ready for the kingdom to come, you know, and that is sustainability, not for a month or a year or two, but for generations. I mean, watch those two boys, Michal and Stefan, in, in that family, watch them, you know, what they're going to become, because there's a, there's a generational gifting on Dion and Kuba as a family, and I can't wait, you know, to see their grandchildren and what they're going to do, but that is one of the results of a strong pastoral culture. So in 2015, let me just put this on my head. Okay, in 2015, my husband released words over my life that crowned me with boldness, with honor, with significance, with freedom, with a confidence. Quite a variety of words. I read through it again last night, and I was just amazed. I thought, wow, did you really speak this over my life? But that was a very significant season that year where God opened his eyes for my role in the church and in the ministry. God gave him eyes to see, and he spoke things over my life that changed my whole approach to ministry, to being his wife. And one of the words was something very simple. He just said, Sonica, you are free to be yourself. Now, maybe you think that is, you know, surely everybody is free to be themselves. And you know that. But for me, it was a word spoken right from God through him. Because what happened in me is it settled things. In my heart, for a very long time in my life, I thought if I have a different personality, I would be of more value to my husband. I would be of more value to the church. So I was always admiring people with, you know, personality traits that I don't, it's not so natural for me. And I thought, mm, if I can just be a little bit more like them, my husband's going to be blessed or the church is going to be blessed. And for a very long time, I thought many things I feel strongly about like the behind-the-scenes things, like purity and kindness and integrity and humility and honor. It's not really that important. I need to go for the big stuff, you know. <laughs> to be a real Christian, I must go for the, the big stuff, like the miracles and the, you know, all those things. And the moment Andre spoke those words over my life, it healed my heart. It brought so much healing, it gave me confidence, it empowered me to be bold, to be confident. He effectively gave me a voice. He said, Sonica, I want you to make a stand for all these things you feel strongly about. I want you to boldly, boldly come to me and say, let's do a relationship seminar. <laughs> or can we talk about marriages? Or can we, can we facilitate healing to relationships? You know, in that year, it was an incredible moment between us because God used Andre to heal my heart, but also to empower me, to give me license. Say, so, Sonica, I give you a license to fight for these things. The purity and the integrity and the humility and the honor, you know, that is 
very much behind the scenes. But if it's not there, everything is going to unravel. And it changed my life. It really did. There was an anointing, and it was a beautiful partnership between the prophetic and the pastoral. And my heart would change. You know, I want to encourage you guys to, to be bold. There's many of you who are strong in the pastoral gift, and you feel guilty or you feel inferior or you feel less spiritual maybe than the people who are highly prophetic or very apostolic. You feel, but, you know, you almost make excuses for your gift. And I want to encourage you to walk in it with boldness. I'm not saying the pastoral is more important, but if that is your thing, you need to run with it. You need to boldly be you. And then we shouldn't be scared to become more evangelistic because this is what happened to me because I was more secure because Andre has given me a voice and a platform in the area of the pastoral. I became more evangelistic because I just feel so secure and I don't have to do it necessarily like somebody else. I can do it in my own way. You know, I, it doesn't need to look the same. Every, we're not cookie cutter Christians. You know, you, you are unique. So if you are, uh, you are primarily pastoral, your evangelistic flow might look different to somebody who's primarily evangelistic. You know, if you are very focused on the word of God, your evangelistic flow might look different to the one who's highly prophetic. And that is the beauty. That is the beauty of the fivefold ministry. And I want to encourage you, be bold in what God has given you. Do not make excuses. Do not feel inferior. Do not feel you're insignificant. Because that person is leading 10 people to Jesus every week. And you maybe lead one to Jesus. And it looks very different to that person. But let's be inspired. Amen? If people hear God's voice all the time and we don't, let's be inspired. But let's not feel inferior. Let's run boldly with what God has given you. So I want to take you through a few things this morning which I had to learn. Because sometimes we think we're very pastoral. And we think we love people well. But I've learned that there's some, sometimes there are moments I think I'm honoring and I think I'm loving. But it's very shallow. And it's not nearly as powerful as it can be. So true carriers of honor have real faith. I had to learn this. Let me give you an example. We all, well, most of us, are familiar with the story where Jesus uh, came to the man outside a town who was demon-possessed. He was running around. And you know what Jesus did? He said, let's operate in the apostolic gifting. Let's set this man free, right? It was the right gifting for the moment, which means even when, when, when we are pastoral, we must say, this is now the gifting that we need to operate in. Maybe I'm operating 90% of the time in a pastoral gifting, but now I need, to, I need to switch, you know? We need faith. But also, you know, this is now a beautiful story of somebody being set free. And you know who I'm worried about in this story? And they don't talk about this man, but they, they talk about uh, his herd. So Jesus sent all the demons into the herd of swine, and they ran over the cliff, and they drowned. Now, how do you think that farmer felt? You know, the one day he was farming, the next day he was bankrupt. You know, is, is that loving? Is that pastoral? And God said to me, Sonica, let it go. 
I will take care of the farmer as well. You know, we can't be so worried about the farmer that we leave the poor demon-possessed man and say, sorry, sorry, we can't help you because the farmer is not going to have a herd of swine <laughs> after this, you know, this deliverance. And God said to me, Sonica, you need to add faith to your compassion. It's crucial for the will of God. You know, the parable of the 99, it's been left alone. And now the shepherd go look for the one. It's a beautiful story. We all like it. But what about the 99? (laughs) And how long are they going to be left alone? I want to know these things, you know. Are they going to be left alone for a month? If If it's a day, I can live with it. But don't leave them alone for a month. You know, this is how I feel. And God said to me, Sonica, if I tell you to go after the one, you need to believe that I will take care of the 99. We can't be so worried about the 99 that we never go after the one, right? And that brings me to my next point. True carriers of honor walk in obedience. So last year, Andrew and I attended a 40th birthday party, and we were praying for the, for the birthday boy. And while we were praying for him, I was drawn to another person in the room. It was a mom with a small baby, and I felt God say to me, pray for her. I said, God, it's going to be very dishonoring towards the birthday boy. Can we just finish with a birthday boy's prayers? And then I will pray for her. Okay, so now. And surprise, surprise, after the prayers finished, she was gone. Because the baby got restless. And, you know, I missed an opportunity because I wanted to be honoring. And God said to me, Sonica, a real carrier of honor walks in obedience. I cannot honor the setting or the person more than honoring God who's wanting me to speak to this person. And let me tell you, it would not have even been dishonoring. They would not have even noticed I slipped out of the prayer circle. I've prayed my prayers already for the man. I could have easily slipped out. It was in a house. I could sit with her in a room. Nobody would have noticed. But I was like, no, it's going to be dishonoring. Let me wait. Time rejoiced with her. But still, that night, I was honoring people more than what I was honoring God. And it, then your pastoral gifting becomes very shallow. It becomes not nearly as powerful as it could be. So I had to learn to add faith. And I had to learn to add obedience to my pastoral strength. Otherwise, it becomes shallow, right? True carriers of honor call people higher. So when we have a heart of a shepherd, we're sometimes too concerned about people's feelings. And so what if I hurt them? What if I offend them? You know, so we, we sweep things under the rug. We don't have tough discussions because what if I look unloving? What if I look unchristlike or ungodly? Or what if the person gets hurt? Shame. You know, we, we go through that thought process. And in the process... We don't help people. We're not truly loving because real love confronts. Real love calls people higher. Real love have tough discussions from time to time. You know, and I think sometimes as, as a pastor, strong pastoral person, we cover for our own reputation by not having tough discussions because we just don't want to look unloving. That'll be like the worst thing for us. We don't want to look unloving, so now we don't have the tough discussions. But by not having it, we are unloving. 
You see that? You know, there's, there's that moment, Andre spoke about it last week, when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter was mindful of the things of men. He was focusing on people more than on God's will and God's purposes. You know, we often in, in our home use it as a joke. You know, if I'm not eating sugar for a week and beyond, will Andre come with a chocolates? I'm like, get behind me, Satan, you know, that kind of a joke. But Jesus wasn't joking. He was very serious. And I think if any pastor would tell a, 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 a member in his congregation, like, get behind me, Satan. You know, and he's serious. He rebukes the person. That person's going to feel, you know, he's the most unloving pastor I've ever come across, and I'm leaving this church. But Jesus did it. Jesus was not afraid of tough discussions because he was calling people uh, Peter higher. He was, he was making sure that Peter understands that God's ways are higher than our ways. And if we don't realize that as a strong pastoral person, we're going to miss God's will. We're going to miss the moment where we need to step up in faith and be obedient because we're going to worry so much about the person. <laughs> And sometimes a tough discussion is necessary, is really loving. True carriers of honor have healthy boundaries. Again, if we have a shepherd's heart, we sometimes get too involved in people's lives. Our phone is never off. We're just available day and night, 24-7. And, you know, we, we, we try to save the whole world and we feel responsible Right? For those of you who relate to this, that is not sustainable. It's not sustainable. You know, we neglect our families, we neglect ourselves for the sake of other people, and it's not sustainable. You know, Jesus often withdrew from the crowd to pray, to be alone with his Father. Otherwise, he would not have made it. He was truly God, but he was also truly man. And he didn't withdrew when everybody's needs were met. You know, remember how the crowd followed him. They would literally look for him until they find him. So there were a lot of needs left. But he would deliberately withdrew because he, he had to connect with the Father. He had to fill up. He had to refresh. He had to have a place of solitude where he could hear God's voice. Remember he always said... I only do what I see the Father do. And that was, he, he was walking in obedience, fully relying on the Holy Spirit. And that is what we need to do. You know, we need to make sure that we withdraw from people. We are not their Savior. We are, we, we are not their Deliverer. You know, there's, there's this book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Very good. I can really recommend it to all of you. Written by Peter Scazzera. And he shares how he got the shock of his life one day when his wife, listen to this, his wife resigned from his church. So she's not divorcing him, but she's resigning from his church. Now, I wonder what she was going to do. You know, was she going to go to a different church? Was she going to start her own church? I don't know. But imagine... You know, my poor husband's having his wheat picks in the morning. He's praising God. It's the day the Lord has made, and he's going to praise God. And there I slide my resignation letter. 
you know, and just walk off and now he reads, no, Sonika Kruger is resigning from Shafa East London. I mean, that's a disaster. <laughs> that is a disaster. And this is what happened to this pastor. And he had to make serious adjustments. He had to make intentional adjustments to all these things I'm talking about, boundaries, you know, tough discussions, you know, and Andre and I can never get there. You know, we can never get there where I want to run away or where I'm burned out, where I don't want anything to do with church. Therefore, I have a responsibility. Nobody can take care of me. I must do it. And it's not unloving or selfish to have boundaries. It's necessary for sustainability. Because I want to be around until Jesus comes back. You know? I'm not going anywhere unless God tells me to go somewhere. You know? But I'm going nowhere and I'm sticking to my marriage. And I'm sticking to this church. Because... This is what God calls me to do. So I have, Andre and I have a responsibility to have boundaries. You know, we cannot help everybody. We would love to, but we can't. And this is why we need you guys. Each of us must come and say, I can give something. I can help one person. But one person cannot help hundreds and thousands forever. But if we do it together... That's a healthy church. But all of us need to know where's boundaries. What does faith look like? What does obedience look like? But what does boundaries look like as well? Amen. So the point I'm trying to make is sometimes a pastoral gifting doesn't look so loving. Sometimes my phone is off. You know, I've, I've, sometimes people, people want to see me and then I can't see them straight away. And then we make an appointment for the next week. And then three days later, they sent me a message saying, no, no, they've had this amazing time with God. Or they have read this book or they've been in church. Sonica, I don't need to see you anymore. How awesome is that? You know, that people can actually come to a point where God can speak to them directly. And I'm I'm not saying counseling isn't important. We have this restoration ministry that is doing so well. Sometimes we need facilitation. Right? But, but sometimes your phone must be off because you're spending time with God. Or you're spending time with your inner circle. Because if, if you never, never spend time alone with God, never spend time alone with your spouse, never spend time alone with your children, it's gonna unravel. Everything's ultimately gonna fall apart. And there's many of you who have a heart of a shepherd. Many of you have a heart of a shepherd. And we need you guys to help us build out this culture. Not a shallow culture, but a healthy, strong culture of honor. A, a pastoral culture where people really care. So I want to I give you a license to, you know, let's make, let's use every opportunity we can find to say thank you, to bless, to believe in one another, to encourage one another. Amen. And for those of you who signed up for this life group training, Andre was talking about, thank you. We, we're so excited to see what you guys are going to become. Because Andre and I are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You guys are very well able to add to this body and to add to people's lives. You know, so, so I want to thank each and every one of you this morning who consider yourselves part of this church because you are a gift. 
You know, the life of Shafa East London is you guys. You know, if Andre and I are here in these empty chairs, it's not going to be life. You are the life. You know, and we have people who take care of the kids next door every Sunday. You know, we have, we have, we're looking after kids from three years old up to the age of 12. And we have volunteers who say, I'm willing to teach the next generation. I'm willing to look after other people's children because this is what's burning in my heart. And it's not always easy. Sometimes, you know, it's, 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 it's not the simplest ministry or the easiest ministry, but people say, I'm willing to stick. And I want to thank you guys for doing that. You know, we have a whole production team at the back, and it has grown into something really beautiful. But last year during lockdown, when we had to get our online um, things ready and our streaming, I just thought, where are we going to get the people, the skilled people who can do these things? You know, and then people just said, I'm available. I'll do it. You know, we have a, for those of you who don't know, we have two sound engineers. We have a sound engineer mixing the sound, but what you guys hear. Then we have a second sound engineer who, who mixing sound for the Facebook audience, which is crucial because it doesn't sound the same. And I thought, where are we going to get the people? And then these guys said, I'll do it. You know, and I want to honor you. Um, Brett is doing it this morning. And you know, it's, it's, such, such a crucial part of Sundays at the moment. But if there's a gap and if there's nobody, what do we do? You know, we have camera people, we have media people and sound, we have worship team who arrive half past six, quarter to seven on a Sunday when most of us still asleep. You know, they practice so that they can bless you guys. You know, we're not a band, it's a worship team. We facilitate God's presence. So, People come to prepare, to prepare this venue for God's presence. And there's people who say, I'll practice during the week. I'll come on a Thursday for a worship practice. I'll be here early on a Sunday and stay for two services to facilitate God's presence. You know, and it looks maybe glamorous here upstage, but it's hard work. You know, we do a new song often, and then the band must learn it, you know. And... I want to thank each and every volunteer, the people who lead Ignite, the people who lead our life groups, the people who give generously. This church will not exist if you guys don't give. It's voluntary. And I want to thank you. You know, and you guys, like I say, it's the heart. It's the heartbeat of East London. It's right here. Right here. You know, and I know sometimes church could be a scary place where people hurt you. Sometimes church can become, instead of a safe place, which I'm trusting for, is a healthy pastoral environment, sometimes it's not a safe place for people. People sometimes get hurt in a previous church, and then they come here, and then maybe they get hurt again. You know, and for that, I want to, on behalf of every Christian who's ever hurt you, I want to apologize this morning, and I want to ask that you allow God to give you the grace to forgive, to give you the grace to be healed. Because he wants to use you to bring healing to others. So he wants to heal your heart, that you can be whole. He wants to make you whole so that you can transfer that healing to somebody else. So I want to, on behalf of every Christian, you know, whether it's 10 years ago, whether it's a month ago, you got hurt in church. I want to I wanna ask 
for your forgiveness on behalf. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was Andre. Maybe it was, you know, something we did that we were unaware of and we hurt you. And I want to say I'm sorry, but, but we can't leave it there. We need to move from, I'm sorry, please forgive me, to yes. You know, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. You know, we need to, we need to practice that forgiveness muscle. You know, because it's not if you're going to get hurt in church or in society or in life, it's when. And then we need to be ready. I mean, don't be caught by surprise because there's a real enemy who want to divide. There's a real enemy who want to make people act familiar to one another. And then we must be ready. We must practice those forgiveness weights. Okay? So when it comes, we fit and strong and we forgive. And we stick around, you know, like Dion and Kuaba, 15 years later, like Sandra Spinho, with them. From the beginning, people who are not disillusioned, and they're not bitter, and not angry at God and at the church, they're more passionate than ever. Because they've lifted those forgiveness weights, and they know how to use them. And that is beautiful. That is beautiful, and I want to honor you if you've been part of church for a season. You know, I've recently spoken to somebody who got really hurt in church, and she made a decision to deliberately come back, to deliberately serve, to deliberately look for the beauty again, and she's found it. She's found it. I mean, imagine what our lives could look like if we become true carriers of honor. Imagine what our families can look like. Imagine what our workplace can look like, our business. You know, imagine the whole of East London infiltrated by carriers of honor. You know, we're we everywhere, in every school, in every business, in every family, in every neighborhood. We sit in every meeting. we 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 on every sports field. And we honor and we model and we walk by example and we don't hold back and we don't make excuses. And we're also not holding back in terms of tough discussions from time to time. But we honor, we love, we respect, we believe in people, we call out the gold. Imagine, imagine carriers of honor all over East London. You know, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. We need to pursue it, it's an intentional pursuit. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.